Good morning. Uh, If you would, turn with me in God's word to Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 11 to 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. And was lost and is found. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word this morning. And we look at what your word says about forgiveness. And being forgiven and extending forgiveness. I pray that you would help us to just really look at our hearts. To understand what your word says. And to be able to go out and live it. If there's areas that we need to work on within our own lives. Pray that you make that evident to us. I pray that you help us to take action. And to do something about it. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your forgiveness. In your name we pray. Amen. What things in life have shaped what you and I think about forgiveness? Reality is that we all take our own perceptions into how we define things and situations. Now think about this scenario. And please do not take this as a, I'm talking about parenting in any way, shape, or form. This is not a lesson on parenting, what to do and not to do. I'm just using this as an example. Um, Child A smacks child B. Child B comes and tells the parent or adult in charge that child A hit them. The parent tells child A to go say they are sorry. 
which they do in order to avoid getting into further trouble. But they really do not feel remorseful, other than the fact that they're remorseful they got caught. Child B then says something along the lines of, this isn't okay, or points out that child A wasn't really sorry. Then the parent gets upset with child B for not forgiving them. Yet, child A was not really sorry in the first place. But they went through the motions, so we don't say anything. Child B let their true heart feelings known and end up being the ones in trouble. They end up being the one that's the focus of parents' disapproval. Now, this may or may not have happened in your house, and maybe I'm just admitting how bad a parent maybe I am. But you get the point. And I think reality is in that situation, everyone knows that no one's heart is in the right place, but we all went through the motions. Now think about what we just incidentally learned about forgiveness. First, if I do something wrong, I must go ask forgiveness and make an apology. Okay, that's a good thing. We want to do that. If I'm not sorry, I better say it so at least other people think so. The action of apologizing became more important than the heartfelt issue of being sorry. If I need to forgive, I better at least say it even if my heart doesn't mean it. And we also, we don't forgive until forgiveness is is sought. How often do we not let go of an issue until the person who offends us seeks forgiveness? We're reactive in forgiveness instead of proactive. How we look at and how we deal with forgiveness and seeking forgiveness is often shaped by things we've experienced in our lives. Yet as followers of Jesus, how we deal with forgiveness when and how we seek forgiveness and how we extend forgiveness should be shaped by God's word and how God says to forgive and how he says to seek forgiveness. When I was younger, I can remember in children's classes looking at this parable. And if you grew up attending church, you may remember it being taught as a feel-good story about a father who sacrificially forgives his son and we learn that there's no sin that God would not forgive us for, which is very true. And very important. And it's a very important part about this parable. But I don't believe that's the whole purpose of it. But only part of the point of the whole parable. We never really talk completely about the circumstances that led the younger brother back to his father. He wasn't going back for restoration and forgiveness, but to have his basic needs met. But as we heard, he received so much more. Forgiveness wasn't something he was looking for, but something he received. That he had received love and forgiveness from his father before he even said a word. And what about the older brother? I don't remember the first time I ever heard about and learned about this parable that there was much focus at all about the older brother. His story isn't a feel-good story. The older brother held resentment towards his younger brother and his father. Why did he have that resentment? Was the older brother concerned more with actions than the heart? The older brother didn't understand how someone who walked away from everything they had could come back, be forgiven, and then restored into the place that they were in. He also understood that the restoration of the younger son also meant he had to sacrifice something too. He didn't like that. The younger brother didn't come back to seek anything from the older brother, and the older brother sure was not looking to give him anything either. And then the father... 
the father showed unconditional love to his sons. He restored his younger son. He also afforded the opportunity for the older son to participate in the celebration of his return. What did it cost him to forgive? And where does forgiveness like that come from? Now again, remember the audience Jesus is talking to. Look up at the beginning of chapter 15 with me. And in verses 1 and 2, we see, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So you have the tax collectors and the sinners, people who were not in high regard in their community. And you have the Pharisees, your religious leaders of the time. Then you look down at the parable that we are looking at today, and you can see the comparison. You see the tax collector and sinners being the younger brothers. You see the Pharisees and religious leaders of the time being the older brother. So for them, by the time Jesus got to the end of this parable, it probably stung a little bit. Now, what is Jesus trying to show us about forgiveness? What can we learn about being forgiven and giving forgiveness by looking at the actions of the younger brother, the older brother, and the father in this passage? Let's look again at verses 11 to 18. And he said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. In verses 12 to 14, we see his obvious sins. Coveting his share of his father's stuff so he could spend it all on his life how he pleased. The idolatry of his lifestyle. Pastor Greg shared about this last week. Um, having the inheritance of his father and being able to spend and live how he pleased was more important to him than his relationship with his father. He did the kind of things that people would have watched and told others, can you believe he did that? Or did you hear about what so-and-so did? Everybody knew his sin. His sin was destructive to the point that he had lost everything. That he had made more important in his heart to his own father. It was all gone. But in the midst of his sin here, he hadn't reached a point where he felt the need to go seek forgiveness and restoration. It wasn't until he hit a low point that he went and sought out his father. At his low point, he finally found the need to return home. In verse 17, it says he came to himself. He finally began to see things clearly, including himself. He thought about himself, his situation, and his father in a clear light. He realized that he had put himself into the situation he was in. He evaluated that situation and realized that even those who worked for his father were better off than he currently was. He probably also realized that the love and compassion his father had for him and that he would at least allow him to work for him. 
His expectation when he went to seek help from his father wasn't that he was going to receive the forgiveness and restoration that he did. In verse 19, we see where he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. For the younger son, it took him hitting a low point in his life to see the true condition he was in, to admit that he had sinned against heaven and his father, and to go seek help. For us, when do we seek out forgiveness? What about those sins in our lives that not, may not bring about low points, as we see here? How do you and I stay aware of the things that we do that hurt our relationship with God and with others when the results are not so obvious? When do you reach a point of seeking forgiveness and restoration when our sins are things that people tolerate? They're no less destructive. In fact, within the church, and I'm talking big church, not just our church, they are some of the biggest destroyers of relationships and people within the walls and within the communities that we are called to serve. Yet because the destruction is not as public, it's not as obvious, and it's not as quick to identify, or maybe even acceptable, we tend not to seek forgiveness. Jerry Bridges wrote a book, and it's a book I would encourage you all to pick up at some point in time, called Respectable Sins. In this book, he deals with sins that many of us who follow Jesus tend to pass by or not deal with in our own lives. And here's a list of several of them. Ungodliness, anxiety and frustration, discontentment, unthankfulness, pride, selfishness, lack of self-control, impatience and irritability, anger, judgmental, envy and jealousy, how we use our words, and worldliness. So what do I need to do if I can't see these sins in myself, if I need to seek forgiveness from God or from others for these things? What things allow us to see who we are, where our heart is at, in our situations, clearly. I know for myself, pride, impatience, irritability are things that I need to be on my guard against. Am I seeking things in direction because I want God's way or because I want my way? Do I want to be right or do I want God's will to be seen? Do I get impatient and irritable because I want things differently or more quickly or because I sense something that needs to change? And then when I'm wrong in my thoughts and actions, am I willing to seek forgiveness from God and from those I've offended? I know in my own life, there are things that I need to keep central in my walk with the Lord if I'm going to make sure that my heart and my actions line up with what God says. And then if I get them wrong, that I'm willing to go back and fix it when I mess up. Prayer. I need to have regular times when I'm communicating with God. I think as followers of Jesus, we all need regular times where we're communicating with God. Am I asking the Holy Spirit to reveal in me the true nature of my heart? And then am am I willing to listen? When my prayer life is not what it should be, it is so much easier for me to try and do my own thing my own way. Prayer not only reminds me of my need for forgiveness, it also reminds me of my need to forgive. God's word. Taking time to study his word and understand his commands 
reveals to us areas that we fall short living for him. If you turn to Hebrews um, chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If you really want to know what your motives are and where your heart is, study God's word. Studying and living out God's word really should be a challenge to all of us. It really will reveal the good and the bad in our hearts. I've never swung a really sharp two-edged sword. Probably a good thing. Um, But I've used some really sharp knives in my time. And I've seen what a really sharp knife will do to separate meat from bone and joints. Or as you see in this parish, joints and of marrow. Having that word picture in my mind helps me to look at and see what is being said there in Hebrews about the word of God as a sharp two-edged sword. Um, It separates and discerns our thoughts and intentions very cleanly and very deliberately. Studying God's word will allow us to discern when our thoughts and our heart intentions are aligned with God's and when they are not. But again, this is dependent upon me making God and his word a priority and then obediently living out what it says. Godly counsel. I believe godly counsel can serve two important purposes for us. If you turn to Proverbs fifteen thirty one to 33. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. How often do we like to hear when we're wrong? (laughs) Sometimes that's a tough thing to hear. When we are receiving godly wisdom and insight and it's telling us we are wrong, we are wise to listen to it. Who do you go to for advice? One way to understand and know when my heart and my actions don't line up with what God and his word say is to listen to those who follow God and give me advice. I also have people in my life who I will ask for advice who I know put God's word, God and his word as a priority. Verse 31 says life giving reproof. Correction and direction that isn't based on Christ is not life giving. Our heart also needs to be in a place where they're ready to receive that reproof. When someone comes to me, is my heart humble enough to listen to what they have to say? The second purpose that I see in seeking wise counsel is not just the correction and the direction, but also that they will pray for you. In James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. In this passage, you see both physically and spiritually, it's talking about prayer and healing. Um, And I know I say this a lot, but do you have people in your life that you can share anything with? Do you have others who are following Christ and desire to be more like him that you can go to and share any issue, situation, or things you are dealing with? 
Do you have others that are following Jesus and desire to be more willing or, and are desiring to grow to be more like him who are willing to grow alongside you? One of the greatest weaknesses I've seen in the church has been the desire to hide our faults and put on the perception that everything is okay. Guess what? We're all messed up. Okay? The person next to you messed up. I'm messed up. You're messed up. Sorry. <laughs> we all mess up. And we need to have those we can share with, pray with, so that they can help point us in the right direction and point out when we may need to seek forgiveness and when we're completely missing it. The younger brother came to himself, came to his senses because he hit rock bottom. What do you and I do to work on our sin and seek out forgiveness from God and others that we have sinned against before we hit rock bottom? Or worse yet, that we continue to sin against God and others and never really reach a point where we seek forgiveness. Yet we continue to hurt others and God and destroy relationships. And let's look at the older brother. Verses 25 to 32. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Again, I want you to remember the audience. You have the tax collectors and the sinners, the younger brother and the Pharisees, the older brother. You see how Jesus begins this story talking about the younger brother and the Pharisees are probably sitting there listening to the life and story of him. And feeling he's getting what he deserves. And they are probably surprised by the forgiveness of the father. In the two parables he told prior to this, it dealt with something that was lost and how the owner goes out in search of it. Jesus talks about how the one is a sinner and the celebration that happens as a result of the one being found. But now Jesus is talking about one that intentionally has walked away. At that point, I'm not sure the Pharisees saw themselves in any of these stories. They didn't see themselves as one who was lost and needed to be found. And they also didn't see themselves as one who walked away from all that they had and spent it recklessly sinning. Unfortunately for the Pharisees, they didn't see their own lostness. And we see this pattern in the New Testament. They were so busy pointing out where others didn't live up to God's law, they missed that they too were in need of a savior. They loved the law more than they loved the lawgiver. You see, their sin may not have been as extraordinary or as reckless as the younger brother, but it still causes broken relationships. It's broken relationships with God and broken relationships with those around them. You see, no matter how small or insignificant the sin is in our eyes, 
it will always result in damaged relationships. The relationships between us and God and the relationships between us and others. So what was it that caused the older brother to be unable to forgive the sins and actions of the younger brother and made him not want to celebrate his return with his father? The first is I think they were blind to their own sin. Do we really look at our own attitudes and actions through the light of Jesus? 1 John 7, 8. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we are living our life for Jesus and through Jesus, he will make our sins apparent. When I have pride, I'll see my pride. When I hurt others, I will see that I hurt others. When I'm selfish, I will see my own selfishness. That's a result of living in Jesus and walking in his light. The older brother wasn't living in relationship with the father. He was living by the rules with an expectation to receive a reward at the end. His behavior was not for the benefit of their relationship. A self-righteous attitude in verse 30. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. (laughs) But when this son of yours, not my brother, but when this son of yours, the older brother was right. The younger brother had committed the sins he accused them of. He did some really bad things. But one of the things that didn't allow the older brother to forgive is he did not realize the seriousness of his own sin. He had himself up on a pedestal because he kept all the rules the way he was told to. He was so proud of all the good things he had done that he didn't look with remorse at the bad things. He didn't truly grasp the severity of his own sin. This kept him from being unable, from being able to forgive <laughs> And to celebrate with the father and the younger brother. Obedience to the father was fear and reward based, not relationship based. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. The older brother's service and obedience to his father was not out of love for the father. The older brother's service and, and obedience was based on rewards. Because his obedience was done out of fear of losing his reward, he couldn't understand how his brother would re- be restored back to his place that he was in. It also upset the older brother because his father's forgiveness would also cost him. You see, the younger brother to be restored would again put him in line to receive his share of the inheritance. Now, what remained of that inheritance was two-thirds of what it was before the younger brother went and used it. And the older brother understood now that his share would be less. And the younger brother being restored would now again receive one-third of the inheritance. It cost him something. He didn't like that. How often do we hear people use the phrase, that's not fair? Or that's not just? We look at things with the preconceived notion that certain behaviors and actions deserve certain rewards and punishment. And then when it doesn't happen the way that we think it should, it upsets our view of justice and fairness. And we place ourselves in our own hearts in the position to judge and decide in our hearts whether or not to forgive somebody based on our view of what is fair 
and what is not. Now, as a follower of Jesus, think to yourself, what if God decided to forgive you and I based on what is fair and what is not fair? If the older brother would have realized the sacrifice the father made in order to forgive the younger brother, he may have looked at him and found it easier to forgive him. Now, let's look at the forgiveness of the father. The father in this parable is a symbol of God the father and his forgiveness of us. As followers of Jesus, we see in God's word that Jesus told Peter to forgive 70 times 7. In other words, we should always forgive one another. So what does this forgiveness look like and where does it come from? Imagine that all of us would forgive the way God forgives us in our lives and lived our lives imitating Jesus, not for rewards or based out of fear, but because we want the best relationship we can possibly have with God and with others as a church and in our community. What things in this passage do we observe about forgiveness that you and I may need to put into practice in our own lives? In verses 20 to 24, And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. His forgiveness was proactive. How many of us are waiting on someone to come to us before we give forgiveness? Look again at verse 20. While he was still a long way off, the father ran to his son. Because the father wanted the relationship was restored with his son, he went to him. He didn't wait to see if his son was truly sorry. He didn't wait to see if his actions really proved that he changed. He went to him and forgave him. Yes, his son was on the way back, but he ran towards him. It's sacrificial. True forgiveness costs the father something. He gave him his best robe. He prepared the best meat. He gave his ring and his shoes. It cost him the original inheritance. It cost him honor and probably a level of dignity within the community. It comes from within. His father saw him and felt compassion. The heart of the father led him to his outward actions. As our hearts change more into the image of Christ, forgiveness and forgiving one another should come from inside of us. As we truly understand the forgiveness we receive through Jesus, that should move our hearts to where we want to see all relationships restored to how God wants them to be. And true forgiveness restores. Why did God send Jesus? To restore our relationship with him. That forgiveness we receive through what Jesus did on the cross for us allows us to live in relationship with him. We see the father here in Luke 15 restoring the younger brother back to the place he had been before and the celebration of the restoration of their relationship. What would happen in our families, in our communities, in our church if we look to forgive the way Jesus forgives us? When Jesus says to Peter to forgive 70 times 7, do we really understand just what that is and what forgiveness is? 
Do we see it as an opportunity to restore relationships? Or do we look at it as just another task of saying, I'm sorry? If you're here today and you really relate to the older brother, you're having a hard time forgiving someone or someone's, um, ask you to pray and have God reveal in your heart what is going on. Um, what is keeping you from extending that forgiveness as a follower of Jesus? Then make a proactive plan when your heart is right to extend forgiveness to that person. Don't wait for them when your heart, or for, do not wait for them for when their heart is right. You approach them. Romans 5, 8 reminds us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't ask for us to change something before that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He wasn't waiting for us to say we're sorry. He sacrificially died for us to help draw us to himself. I guarantee that if you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart, it's destroying relationships and is ultimately affecting your most important relationship, your relationship with God. Or maybe like the older brother, you're not even aware that you've done something and you need, that you need to be forgiven for. Maybe you're, you have the self-righteous attitude or you don't see your own sin. Um, pray about that. Ask God to reveal what's going on in your heart with your attitude and your actions. Maybe you relate to the younger brother. You need to seek forgiveness from someone. Something you've done or said has damaged your relationship and you need to approach them and ask forgiveness. Pray that God can help restore your relationship and I pray that you would do that soon. That you wouldn't be afraid of the rejection or how they'll respond. That you'll humble yourself and do the right thing. Or maybe you're running and doing your own thing and are in need of forgiveness And you realize your relationship with God is broken or that you've never had a relationship with him. Just like the father in this story, God has run to you. He's seen you from a long way off. He looked and we looked at Romans 5, 8. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We all sin and we all fall short of God's standard. Jesus didn't wait for us. He came and died for us. It cost God his one and only son. And today you can accept that forgiveness. And if there's anyone here today who hears this talk about forgiveness and would want to have that relationship with Jesus, um, as the worship team comes forward, I'd invite you to stand. And what we'd like to do is get somebody partnered up with you. So if there's someone here today, um, you can stand up. Somebody will meet with you. You Go out the back and pray. But if you want to know what that is to be forgiven by Jesus, to experience that kind of forgiveness that forgives all sins, no matter what you've done, um, I invite you to stand now. Let's pray. Lord God, just thank you for this morning. We do thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you came to us. You didn't wait for us, but you sent your son to die that while we were still sinners. Thank you for that love. Lord, I pray today that as, as we go, we really, really take your word to heart that we look at our relationships around us, that we go to fix the things that we've broken, um, And Lord, if there's sin within us that we're not aware of, please make it evident. Please let us know. Um, Lord, we love you and pray that this week we'd show your love to others. In your name we pray. Amen.